Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. Thank you, Bill. Like my intro. I appreciate that. I never remember whether I said now is this way or that way, so we're just going to go up in the air. I have a full house packed with very interesting people today to talk to you, but I want to give you my opening today, my monologue. I have to give credit to ChatGPT, who rewrote it for me at my request three times. I have edited it, so it's me, but I want to tell you I'm going to read this, and I want to see what my guests have to say, because this is a little more uh, wordy than I usually do, but I think you'll enjoy it. So let's do this. Bonnie D in the house, here to take you on a journey through time and technology. Are you smiling? Let me see. Is everybody smiling? Take my notes. Yes, we got smiles here. Let me set the stage. Now I'm going to get personal. Picture this, a time back in the day when computers were larger than life, mainframe machines that roared to life with the blinking of lights and the hum of progress. And this is me talking. I'm no stranger to this world. I, Bonnie D, earned not one but two degrees in computer science. It was computer operations and programming back in the day, and I'm not going to tell you the year. We're talking working as a programmer analyst on those imposing, marvelous machines. But we all know oh, those machines have shrunken in size, yet soared in power in the decades since. So today's episode of Technology Revolution in the Future of Now will explore the future of teaching technology, which is important to me because I was there, including AI, teaching AI beyond just coding. I was a coder. I'm talking today about tech lessons woven, woven seamlessly into the fabric of traditional school subjects. We're talking math and science and social studies and language arts. Imagine practical applications and experiential learning in real world contexts sparking students' curiosity and connecting the dots between today and tomorrow. I think ChatGPT is wonderful. It's almost poetry, isn't it? And we're going to talk about AI as the new teacher's new education assistant. It's like having a digital sidekick, tailoring the learning experience to each student's style and making AI literacy an essential skill for the future. And don't forget, there's a cavalcade, I love that word, of new gadgets to shake up the classroom. Virtual, re Carrie, Carrie likes this, virtual reality, augmented reality, and even robots are ready to usher in a whirlwind of limited possibilities. So joining me today, here's where I talk about all of you, are some of the sharpest minds in the business. Wave when I call your name. Carrie Getz, wave hello. Dr. Sharon Jones, wave hello. We have Bill Clayman, there you go. Oh, he's happy to be here. We have Julie I. Ruli. I've learned that it's not an L, it's an I in her last name. And we have Courtney Pop. say hello to Courtney there. And they're going to share their visions for the future of teaching technology, including AI. See, if I said teaching technology and AI, it's like all my other shows, manufacturing and AI, IoT and AI. So I had to say including. Is it way beyond just coding? Stick around and get ready to be educated, enlightened, and inspired as we dive into the future of tech education. Bonnie D in the house. What do you all think? Did you like that? That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Not Absolutely bad. Absolutely epic. Good. I, stunned silence. 
<laughs> well, thank you for being silent and letting me read it. I appreciate it. I, I love just acting these out. They're just so interesting. So I, I do have three quotes uh, that I would like to read that remind me of this topic, that are harking toward this topic, and then we'll have you introduce yourselves. Remember Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, guiding Neo to the truth in The Matrix, 1999 sci-fi action film. He said, I'm trying to free your mind. I don't do a good Lawrence Fishburne impersonation. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Isn't that good for education? Then I have Lisbeth Salander, played by Rooney Mara, hacking her way into mysteries in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, 2011 mystery thriller, thriller film. And she said, I'm a watcher. I watch people. I'm a computer hacker. Isn't that and one more, Hiro Hamada, voiced by Ryan Potter in Big Hero 6, a 2014 Disney animated film, and his passion for technology for a hero's journey. And here what he said, technology inspires us, ignites the fire within us, challenges us to reach higher, to go further, to create a better tomorrow. Those cool? Really Very cool. Good. I always, always ask for movie mm -hmm. quotes. So let's go around the table and get some introductions here since I didn't tell anybody who you all are. So Carrie Getz, I have to, in full, full information, tell everybody that I had the pleasure and privilege of introducing Carrie in the end of June for a keynote she was giving at the start of a full day conference that I had the privilege of moderating for Informatech on network resiliency and it was very very interesting and carrie and i connected after the conference and i said come on the radio show and that's why you're all here so here I am. carrie go ahead three minutes introduce yourself what are you doing here today and welcome thank you so my name is carrie getz i have been around this industry for a stupid amount of time i've worked in every piece and part of the industry but throughout all of the different jobs positions a big common thread through all of that has been education and I think, honestly, tech as a whole is one of the longest ongoing apprenticeships in history because a lot of the curriculum's not there for a lot of what we do. So that's how you learn. You learn from each other and we pay it forward and reach back and drag people forward and, and work on that. So to that end, I published two books, um, one last year, one this year, uh, that talk about the data center and tech as industries and how they fly. But as far as this topic goes, I think that AI has a very big play in education, not only how we use AI and how we teach, but I think we're going to see a lot more coming up about responsibility with AI uh, because it could go awry pretty quick. So very that's why I'm interesting. Here. Thank you. And there are all kinds of ethical considerations that are coming up. And I know all kinds of laws are being made and not made and discussed and debated on who owns what, a copyright of art or a book. And is it a human? And uh, there was an article in the news today about a man who invented an AI generator and he made some art. And the question is, does the copyright come to him as the creator of the generator the creator of the algorithms because copyrights cannot go to a non-human yet that's a whole other topic yeah. so we'll get into that let's go around the table dr sharon jones welcome you can unmute yourself and sharon it's been years but i've been following your career very interesting what you do so why don't you introduce yourself to us welcome sharon yeah, thank you so much and it's a, an amazing delight to be with all of you as well um as she said i'm i'm I have hair on my face. I'm Dr. Jones, and I have been in the uh, teaching for the past, oh my gosh, we're going on almost 25 years, which is insane. I've been teaching computer science um, and about everything you could imagine in terms of data, programming, um, 
really anything that has to do with figuring out how to make a piece of technology work better for you. Um, I have been teaching that. So my um, passion around technology and education is I grew up with not a lot of it to begin with. You know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. While it was there and, you know, in different ways, we as in our personal lives did not have as much access. And so where I found my passion was really centered around showing students how we can take real life applications and make those applicable to integrating technology. And so I've I've done that with teachers and with students and really over the past 10 years, my passion and dedication has been to change the trajectory for women in the tech field and helping them to find their voice and their passion and where we can direct that. In terms of artificial intelligence, you know, I laugh a lot about how it's already been a part of our lives for a long time, but now it's really getting that cultural uh, infiltration. So um, I'm excited to be here to talk to you guys more about where I see it going within the K-12 space and how it can help empower our students and our teachers to use it with um, integrity and creativity. Bonnie, I really love the way you explained ChatGPT at the beginning, that you used it, you coached it to get what you wanted and then made it your own. And that's really important for us to tell our teachers and our students when we're thinking through this. So thank you so much for, for having me here and uh, delighted to chat more. Thank you, Sharon. And one question for you before Bill, you're next. Sharon, your name of your company, how did you get that? Oh, yeah, that, that's probably an important thing, right? So I have two companies. I have a consulting company called The Dot Consulting, where we work with K-12 entities to integrate um, all of these concepts, empower our teachers, because I'm really, really, really passionate about our educators having the Carrie, you mentioned it. We're, we're we're our own apprentices, right? And our teachers don't often get that because they're not in this field with us, right? That and then I have a nonprofit called Dottie Rose Foundation that supports girls in computer science, and both companies named in honor of my grandmother. Thank you very much. Both of my grandmothers were named Rose, and my daughter is Rose. I have to tell you. There you go. Thank you very much, Bill Clayman. You're up next, Bill. Welcome. And you came to me through the good graces of Carrie Getz. So let's get to know you, Bill. You're up. One of my heroes in this industry, Carrie, I just had a chance to hang out with her in Chicago. Now, just, just for the sake of it, I'm going to start a timer and I'm going to go make sure I do three minutes or less. I'm, I'm going to keep this thing on, on the rails. Using in your data. I like you using data. Very good. Very we're good. talking about technology and we're going to use this technology. Now I've talked about my timer now for 10 seconds. So we're going to, we're going to skip that. Um, hi everybody. I'm Bill Clayman, uh, originally from Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, so it's not really Bill, it's Vitaly, but everyone can call me Bill. It's fine. Um, I'm a millennial, but I'm one of those few folks in this industry that actually started in this industry natively. I wasn't adopted. I wasn't a doctor or a physician. I, I literally went to school for network engineering. Um, then I got an MBA and other master's in information security. But um, in, in my years of, of coming up in this, in this industry, I've had a chance to be a young person placed in leadership positions. And I've always uh, felt that it's important to get other people um, into this place to understand just how wonderful our industry is. Um, I grew up in, in the tech space, really working with everything cloud, virtualization, Microsoft, Citrix, virtualization technologies. Um, spent four years at a really cool company called Switch Data Centers, which we successfully exited and sold back in December. And right now I'm working for a really fun company originally from Ukraine, now here in the United States, called Neuro. And it is kind of really on topic with what we're talking about here. Um, we help design and, and uh, create a, a platform. We have a full platform that actually helps organizations 
train large language models, but their own. Now, what we've been talking about, I love what um, everyone said so far, company was built on three really important core tendencies, which I hope the rest of the industry adopts, AI transparency, AI ethics, and AI sustainability. And what's fascinating, uh, Bonnie, you you had ChatGPT write that uh, uh, really kind of epic intro for you. And our team does a lot of research. So we create our own large language models. We don't use open AI, we do our own. We found that one time, if you ask ChatGPT a question, can charge your cell phone 60 times. It's, it takes up a lot of power. Um, but apart from all this really fun things that we're doing with creating large language models, uh, GPT-like architectures and so on, and really facilitating that for the data center industry, I should be clear, um, my passion is education. My passion is getting other people involved in this industry and really shining a light on a ecosystem that's been a really well-kept secret and now it's biting us in the butt for way too long. Um, I am one of the lead judges for DECA in the high school competitions, and I get a chance to judge all over all over the world. I was a competitor, state champion um, uh, myself, and so I give back. I've been doing that for the past six years, and I absolutely love it because kids say the darndest things. Um, and then after that, I've been having a chance to work with Infrastructure Masons and the wonderful Courtney Pop, um, where I am one of the lead mentors and I'm the chairperson for the education committee. Um, outside of that, I'm also the program chair for Data Center World, where Carrie mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, one of my biggest initiatives in helping put this conference on is getting diversity, getting more amazing speakers out there that are women, that are people of color, um, because without them, we're missing out on so many ideas. Um, and then one of my big goals in life is to be just like Dr. Jones. I want to be a teacher one day. Right now, I get a chance to lecture at the USC School of Engineering as a guest lecturer um, in the master's program. And I help engineers, uh, mechanical, electrical, computer engineers, people who would have never thought to be in our industry, open their eyes, Bonnie Graham, take that blue pill and jump into the data center of the matrix or matrix of the data center, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and be enlightened by what we do. And clearly, in case you can't tell by my passion, uh, it's, it's a wonderful industry. And I can't wait to get more people in, inside of it. Thank you very much, Bill. Speaking of diversity, it's interesting. When I was, uh, full disclosure, I have a bachelor's degree, a magna cum laude, I can still brag about that, I guess, in psychology. Never did anything with it, but it helps in my radio work and my former stand-up comedy, understanding a little bit about people. Yeah, we're all Very crazy. But, right. however, I went to graduate school at a community college in Eugene, Oregon, where I earned the two degrees and got in based on my transcript from my four years from my bachelor's degree. And I aced every homework assignment. I aced every test. I came out with a 4.0, and they hired me to run a statewide community college reporting uh -huh. system right out of school. And it was me versus a man of color. So it was a woman versus a guy. We were both bringing diversity, I guess. But what's interesting is in my class, Bill, we had people who had dropped out of architecture school, law school, medical school. We were all in our late 20s. I'm still not telling you the year. We were mothers. <laughs> we were fathers. We were people who started other careers. I never started psychology because I got married and had some children. But the point is that we came from such diverse backgrounds. We brought that and we were just excited to be coding. We created our own compiler as a class project working in teams in a nonsense language. I mean, we're talking talking about a mainframe, we're talking about standing up on a stool to put a disk pack into a disk drive that looked like a washing machine. Carrie, somebody from the Informatech, uh, one of the speakers, sent me pictures of those old disk drives. They looked, the and he had them next. Go ahead. The first computer that I wrote code on is in the Smithsonian. Not the oh. exact computer, but the first model. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Mine, I, I think I go back a little sooner. Mine was a Xerox 6, 6, Sigma, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. And I was coding in COBOL, 2,000 lines of code at a time. And then I key punch. Oh, can you imagine? Key punching, carrying key around. Punch. A yeah. I want to also just make note, Bonnie, that your psychology degree is very key in the development of technology and how we as humans will interact and utilize the way in which a technical device or for my fellow data nerds, how we will look and evaluate with data. The color schemes are, if you know, if you don't have the right color schemes together, the way you present the data, people aren't going to look at it. So psychology is very deeply entrenched well, in what you. we do within the technology range. And that's, that's a lot of what I tell my educators and, and students alike is that you have, you have a, a talent if you like to do things that have a very, like, you know, I'm not necessarily visually enticed. I can run your code very well and then hand it over to somebody who can create that dashboard much better than I can. So thank you. you know, thank you. So I, if my parents were still alive, I told them it was a good investment in my education. I started out actually at Sarah Lawrence College in Bronxville, New York, when mm -hmm. uh, just after, when Leslie Gore, the singer, it's my part, she was still there. Mm -hmm. That was way after Barbara Walters, way after Yoko Ono were there. But we had the daughters of some of the captains of industry and journalism went there. And it was quite a glitterati group. That was when it was not co-ed. It was all women. And then I finished at BU, marriage intervened. There we go. And moving around. So let's go to Courtney Pop. I did not forget you, my dear. Let's hear your introduction. Talk to me and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, my name is Courtney Pop, and I get to be the education program manager for a little organization called Infrastructure Masons. We are a membership organization for folks who work in the digital infrastructure space that is mostly data centers. I think uh, most people on this call are very well, very aware of iMasons. Um, but speaking of people you wouldn't stereotypically think are going to be in the digital infrastructure space, my degree is in philosophy and my master's is in political science and labor union leadership. So this is not a space that anybody thought I'd fall into at all. And uh, Bonnie, I can totally sympathize about your parents making fun of your bachelor's degree. My father <laughs> wants to know how it is sitting in a toga on a rock by the side of the road. I <laughs> <laughs> Big joke in the family. Uh, but I have been with iMasons for about a year. Prior to that, I did eight years with the Colorado Department of Labor and Employment, working primarily in workforce development programs for dislocated workers. And I am here and passionate about this topic because I really think the technology is the great equalizer. I have been throughout my entire career extremely in interested in helping people access opportunity and really helping represent underrepresented groups. I think technology is one of the spaces where we can really make that happen and where we can make it, where people can make it happen for themselves. It's also the single space where we have the opportunity to be the most diverse industry on the planet and shoot yes. because all of that diversity needs all of our systems. And the yes, point I wanted to make was that when I was going to school at the community college with these people from diverse industries, half the class were women. They'd, it wasn't, oh, you're a girl, you can't do, you have to do math. No, you don't. You have to have an organizational, logical mind to put this stuff together. It all We were busting the myths before they were myths, and then everything happened. So let's move on. 
Julie, it's your turn. We would love to meet you. You've been so patient. There's always a fourth or fifth. Don't worry about it. Julie, we'd love to hear from you. Welcome and tell us who you are and what's your passion for the topic. Yes. Yeah, so hi, I'm Julie Iruli, and I've always had a lifelong focus on learning and helping to share that. You know, going back with some of the folks here on the call, we are, we've been around for a while. Um, you know, I go back and why I always have had such a passion for education, learning, and really the future and what technology brings is none of the things I'm doing, about two-thirds of the portions of my career never existed while I was in college. So one of the things, you know, you have to do, my degree is actually in communications, but I'm kind of a geeky nerd at heart. I love science, anything technology-wise. And then being able to communicate that in a way that's relevant to people and being able to provide it in a position or in a statement that people can easily consume and then take that forward and utilize it. You know, those are the things that as you go through your career, as you go through, you know, from a leadership standpoint, you want to be able to communicate, you know, what's going on and how how easily things can change and how easily you can actually move forward in your learning and how it should be a really a lifelong pursuit, um, especially as the world is evolving so quickly. So hopefully through communication and also sharing that adaptability, a lot of people have kind of have fear attached to, you know, all the AI, but it's the next great frontier. And, you know, I, I see the aspirational aspects of it. Um, you know, when you talk about learning in that, my son was dyslexic and, or he is still, but identifying that, you know, how do you help teach that? You know, how do you help him how to get him past where he was at that particular time. And those types of things have been really critical in, you know, my helping my son grow and the way that he's now actually at law school. So utilizing technologies and things that are available and tools, these will only help those going forward. Also, I have a very strong, passionate nature for diversity and inclusion. I've been on the board of 7 by 24 Exchange International for over 12 years. Uh, I launched and founded uh, WIMCO, Women in Mission Critical Operations, where really we focus in on advancing women within the industry. And I also founded and launched uh, International Data Center Day, which is all about bringing in the next generation. So our next generation has this huge opportunity through artificial intelligence, machine learning, to really advance that. So how do we educate them on the existence of the industry and how to advance in it? So this is just a very important topic for me, just holistically, um, and so glad to be part of the show. Thank you very much. Julie, you brought up an interesting point uh, where people are fearful. Oh, my job's going to be taken away by a robot mm -hmm. or by AI, and I'm not going to be this or that, and I trained and I have all my education and 
poor me. And then we talk about upskilling, reskilling. And I've, I've read many times, and Julie, you're familiar with this, that the jobs people will have in the next fill in the blank X number of years may not even exist today. They're not even a spark right. in somebody's brain that you'd be, I read that, well, I'm sure you're all familiar that there are going to be people who become text prompt coaches, prompting people. How do you write a good prompt? By the way, speaking of which, I use, I don't use Midjourney, which a lot of people use. I use Night Cafe Studio. It's nightcafe.studio for my AI art. And this was its interpretation just before the show of what a mainframe computer looked like. I have, let me see if I have one other one here. This is a Candyland version. I'll get out of the way of a mainframe computer. Then we have this one is a little more realistic. Okay. And then one more. I don't think oh, I showed that one already. Let me see this one. That's even more realistic of all. Never of thought an IBM AS400 ecosystem could look so cool. You recognize right? it. I told it. I said IBM 4341. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I was invited to be the kickoff speaker for the Women in Big Data on March 8th, 2022 on International Women's Day. And I gave a presentation with pictures of what my green bar paper looked like of the core dumps of, of all of the, the code, of the handwritten specs I got from the programs from a, a man who was a consultant in a different city in Oregon, and I wrote it all by hand and drew lines on it. He said, okay, we need five columns across and five lines, and that's how I wrote my, my specs. And uh, I showed pictures of a card reader and key punch cards and a mainframe, and the women were like, what planet are you from, lady? I mean, no, oh, yeah. no, did you tell them about the trick where you draw a diagonal line all the way down your key cards so somebody knocks your box off the table, you're not totally hosed? No, but I did tell them that one night I got a call. I wish I knew that, Carrie. Where were you when I knew? You weren't even born yet. Uh, I remember. Probably I was. A, I, I'm not sure. We'll talk. I got. And by the way, everybody stick around. We're going to take pictures afterwards. I didn't do that before. Um, I remember one night I got a call at about 3.30 in the morning from the operator when I was working for something called Otis, which was not the elevator company. It was Oregon Total Information Systems. And it was a, a, a basically, we were coding for the secondary schools of the entire state. And I was redoing the person, the permanent transcript, Sharon, I had to redesign it to put in a section for the guidance counselors to let kids know in their junior year of high school, whether they were ready for graduation the next year and where the deficiencies were. I had to take a permanent transcript and carve out a little box and realign all of the other sections we're talking rulers and pencils and micro inches and all that so that we could add this code, which is interesting. And I forgot what I was going to tell you. Anyway, we'll get back to that later. So, um, oh, yes. So he called at 3.30 in the morning and he said, Bonnie, we had an ab end on card number 673. What do you want to do? Well, my programs never have ended in the middle of the night, excuse me. 2,000 lines of code on a Saturday and on a Monday morning at 11, it was running with maybe one quick syntax error. So I said to him, okay, I said, it's 2.30, 3.30 more. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed in the dark. Let me think. He said, give me a minute. And I said, okay, back up three cards and put a zero in on job control on the operator's console. And I'm going to sit here with my eyes closed in the dark for five more minutes. If you don't call me back, that means it ran. If you call me back, I'll figure something out. In five minutes, he never called back. The program ran and it was done. So that's how well we knew our code. That's what we knew. These were, these were like, were part of us anyway, but I digress. Thank you all for the interesting bios. I'm fascinated. And I was texting to Sharon and saying that 
Uh, I think you're all going to make some interesting connections here with people you may or may not have known or not known as well. So thank you all for being here. Let's go to the quotes part of the show. Let's make this really, really zip because I want to get to the predictions. I've asked each of you to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric. And on the surface, it has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, but you're going to relate it to the topics. Let's keep it to two minutes. Bill, I'm tempted to have you be the timekeeper, but I'm not going to put that burden on you. Everybody will be figuring it out. So Carrie Getz has taken a quote from Blackbird on the 1968 double album by the Beatles, The White Album, written by McCartney, credited to Lennon and McCartney, performed as a solo by Paul. And the guitar accompaniment was inspired by Bach's Bourré in E minor. Did you know that, Carrie? It was a lute piece often played on a classical guitar. Beautiful song. And here's the quote Carrie has selected. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life, you were only waiting for your moment to arise. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. Well, thank you. Great, Larry. By the way. Yeah, go ahead. So two minutes. What does this have to do with our topic? Well, because I think technology and AI has the ability to be that great equalizer that we already talked about. I think that you can take anybody from any walk of life. You can give them some skills in this industry, whether they're in the trades whether they're a transitioning veteran, whether they're a woman, whether they're you know a single mom, you can give her one certification class and that is a life-changing event for her. It's life-changing from how she can support her family, from her quality of life, the way she treats. So I think in all of these cases, it's unfortunate that kids today only get exposed to coding as far as technology goes. That's their first foray into coding. Now, I've written code, you've written code. I'm sure a lot of other panelists have written code. It's a very specific skill set, and it's not Mm -hmm. for everybody. But if you like to work with a hammer, if you like to drive bulldozers, if you like to weld, if you like, you know, if you hang sheetrock, all of those are jobs that are applicable in this industry. We need them to build these facilities. We need them to operate these facilities. We need them to run these facilities. We need the architects and engineers. We can literally take people from any walk of life and change their life with technology and with a career in technology. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Carrie. Let's go to Dr. Sharon Jones. She's picked a quote from Dirty Dancing, 1987 American romantic drama dance film. They used to be just, it was either drama or comedy romance. Now it's everything. It could be a sci-fi action adventure epic. You know, it could be everything. Uh, The film earned $214 million worldwide. It was the first movie to sell a million copies for home video. I did not know that. The soundtrack generated two multi-platinum albums and multiple singles. I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warrens won the Oscar for Best Original Song, the Golden Globe for Best Original Song, the Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Group or Duo. So Johnny Castle, played by the late Left Us Way Too Soon, Patrick Swayze, says this line, Nobody puts baby in a corner. I Sharon, knew it was going to be that quote. I <laughs> love that. Karen, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us what so, this has to do with our topic. It's multi, multifaceted to this, right? One of the, uh, Carrie, I love what you said. And I want to go back to part of the piece about the architecture and kind of how I break down the buckets of computer science. But the reason why I said this is often tech is put in a corner. It's thought to be this hard, people don't understand it. The first thing they always say is, oh, I'm not a technologist or, oh, I'm not this. And I'm like, but actually you are, you're using it every day. And I think to what Carrie said too, 
what we do in technology and computer science, and yes, I am a coder, but I also am a very specific coder. I code in Python and in SAS. I, I'm not a great website developer. Please don't ask me to do Java or JavaScript. I quite frankly stink at it, right? And that's okay because I found what I'm really good at, right? And I think that's the piece that I want to say is don't always put it in a corner and think, oh, that's not for me. Remember that it drives so much about what we do. And the other thing is, as a female, I was put in a corner and told that I wasn't great at math. And the truth of the matter is I'm really kick-ass at math. I just wasn't in the right math. So as soon as you put me in statistics and figured out how data could make decisions, I flew. It was like a whole new world opened for me. And so I think sometimes we, in education, we put things in silos or in corners <laughs> and we forget that how integrated they are. And I often say to people, if you can write a sentence, you can write a line of code. It's just figuring out how the syntax works for the computer than what it does for, so Bonnie, you count, you count it down in French. Bill, you have a native language uh, from Ukraine, right? Those are all languages. The same thing of me learning to type, write in Python, no different than you writing in Cobalt or you writing in C+. All of those just have syntax. And so that's what I, that um, you know, I love that movie too. And I love that you put the data facts around it, but um, don't put us in a corner. We should be in the center. Sharon, I was on the math team in junior high school in, uh, where was I? PS, junior high school 67 in Queens, New York. And we competed with schools around New York City. And it was exhilarating to be given a topic, a challenge, a problem. And on a, on a timer, you've got three minutes or four minutes. And the, the joy, the eureka moment, which is what I felt when I was learning to code. It was like eureka. I'm jumping for joy. My brain is taking off and saying, I am happy. I love this. I am creating something. I'm thinking. There was it. And then I have to tell you, we had so many people who were good math students in, uh, in I think it was... Bayside High School or was it junior high that we had a special math competition where we were put in the cafeteria. There were 26 of us and we had to take a special test. And I was in the top 10 on the math test and we got awards at graduation. I don't remember how many other girls. And one more thing, when I was in that, taking my computer classes at the community college, the man, male students were furious with me because they were using slide rules to figure out all their math problems. I used a pencil and paper. I figured every problem out by working it out. And they hated me for it. It's like, she's a woman, she's the only girl in the business statistics class, and she's using a damn pencil. How could she figure that? And she got a 100 on every test and every exam. They hated me. Anyway, we're gonna move on. Thank you very much for the memories. Uh, Bill Clayman, you're next. I have your quote. This is from Ted Lasso. Who doesn't love Ted Lasso? Uh, it was created by Jason Sudeikis based on a character he portrayed in promotions for NBC Sports coverage of the England's Premier League. It was the first season. It was nominated for 20 Primetime Emmys, the most nominated first season comedy in the history of the Emmys. And I am sad that it only had a three season arc and it's over and I miss Ted Lasso. I know people are watching it. I know people are uh -huh. watching it all over again. So here's the quote. Four words. We love the short ones, Bill. Be curious, not judgmental. Bill Clayman, what does this have to do with our topic? 
Oh my goodness, everything. It feels like everything. Tech can be can be can be scary and, and oftentimes we judge quickly. It's actually, you know, you're 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 a Jedi, Bonnie. I'm sorry, a, a psychologist. Um <laughs> you're a technology Jedi. Um, and and we often uh we often get uh anything that's new or novel uh, and we don't understand, we always go to our root um basic human instincts, which is fear and judgment. Um and sometimes when things like AI and generative AI and things come at us. It can be very scary. Now, before this this live session, Bonnie's like, Bill, when I say the quote, don't reference your personal experience. Talk about how it's, it's specifically to this topic. I'm going to reference the personal experience. So challenge accepted a little bit there. Um, when I was in Ukraine, um, my brother's 12 years older than I am. So he used to compete in these telegraph competitions, literally Morse code. And I would sit on his lap. I was like six years old. And he would put these big cans on me, right? It's not like we didn't have a telephone, right? We did. Um, but he would allow me to like do some Morse code and communicate with people like all over the country. And I thought that was the coolest thing thing in the world. I didn't judge. I was curious. I'm like, this is so amazing. We're communicating. And that's the nexus of how I got started in all of this. And I feel very strongly that curiosity is going to save our industry. It's going to save the data center. And, and Sharon, Dr. Jones, what you said is brilliant because curiosity is going to break those silos ultimately. And then we don't have to put tech in a corner anymore. We can we let it let it be something that's really, really amazing. So one of the things that I think it really ties back to is the curiosity of being in a specific degree. What we're working with Courtney on, for example, mechanical, electrical, computer, art architectural engineers, all of them, when we tell them what they can do in our industry, that's when my, my aha moment happens. And that's when their eyes light up. They're like, I, 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 can, I can do this stuff. I can do electrical engineering and help bring up digital infrastructure all over the world. And like, yeah, we can. Literally, your skill set is designed for our industry. So what we want to do and what we were trying to create, and that, that quote specifically, be curious, not judgmental, is when you hear about a technology, when you hear about um, anything that might be nascent to you, new, you don't immediately put it in a corner, right? Ask ask questions instead of judging something, and you'll be so surprised how much you learn. And if anything, you might find something of interest for yourself to learn about. And working with students really pretty much all over the world at this point, um, that's the one thing I try to instill in them in working with Courtney and some of the amazing professors we get a chance to interact with is, is how can you be curious given what you're excellent at and how you can apply it to our industry? And the curiosity sparks innovation and the curiosity sparks excitement in, in our industry. And just like the coders Dr. Jones uh, talked about, um, when you create something, it's an art, right? And all of a sudden, digital infrastructure becomes more than just ones and zeros, these big buildings with blinking lights. But these are literally tools that we use every single day to function, and none of it is going anywhere. So be curious about it and learn. And I, I, think, I think that is a huge part of what we have to do in education. But you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly where innovation comes from. It comes from somebody that learned in a really, really scrappy way, teaming up with somebody that has a college degree, somebody that learned things differently, and everybody putting their ideas together. That's honestly where the innovation comes from in this industry. And it takes people from every walk of life to make that happen. Nailed it, Carrie. Nothing invented wasn't dreamed up first. No, and I think part of the issue with our education system right now is we're so stuck on standardization that we don't give students the opportunity to fail and fail forward. Everything y'all just said, I mean, I'm, I'm a self-taught coder, which I'm sure most of you all are. Too. I mean, we've had some, but I literally am self-taught most of my work. And so giving kids that opportunity and our educators the opportunity to fail. And the way our system is set up is not often, is not giving kids that opportunity, which is why I think we get that curiosity gets stifled, Bill. And I love that you repeated that over and over and over again, don't stifle that, especially once they hit middle school and above. 
Well, you do, and if you force everybody to learn in the same way, you engineer out diversity. Mm -hmm. I mean, amen. Oh my gosh, ruining everything. Yes. I'm going to add a word to that. <laughs> On my, my Monday night show, Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Creatives, somebody mentioned courageous creativity. And for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to call it courageous curiosity. Do you like well, that, Bill? It. Yes. I love it. Ooh, courageous curiosity, having the, the chutzpah, the nerve, the foresight, the strength, the core strength to say, I want to know why, what if, right? That's where it comes from. We got to move on. I, I'm going to make a prediction before we even get to the predictions that we're going to have to do a part two of the show because there's no way we're going to cover all of the predictions you sent me and they're wonderful. So let's continue with the quotes and we'll do a couple predictions and then I'll book you for part two. If if everybody would like to come back, I don't know. Yes, uh, please. Oh, Bill, okay, that's good. <laughs> Courtney Pop, let's go to your prediction. I'm sorry, you're, I'm, I'm thinking ahead here. I've only got a 12 pages of notes here. Courtney Pop, I'm looking at your quote you've sent, oh, attributed to deep thoughts, voiced by the wonderful, lovely, and effervescent Helen Mirren. Of course, the movie is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, 2005 sci-fi comedy film. Who knew sci-fi could be funny? I guess a lot of people. Deep Thought is a computer based on a created by a pan-dimensional hyper-intelligent that's what we all are hyper-intelligent spirit species of beings their three-dimensional protrusions into our universe are white mice i'm just going to stop there here's the quote and you really have to explain this for those of us who don't know the movie i i'm sorry i'm embarrassed but i don't here's the quote the ultimate the answer to the ultimate question of life the universe and everything is 42. Courtney, you're up. Thank you. So I chose this quote because I think that it is so relevant to teaching AI and how to interact with AI. The story of the quote is that this massive intelligent computer is built simply to answer the question, what is the meaning of life, the universe, and everything? What the people who built the computer forgot to realize or didn't realize is that if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get a bad answer. And I think that that is something that is really coming to the forefront with ChatGPT and MidJourney and all of these different AI tools. If you ask the wrong question, you're not going to get the right answer. Or if you ask the right question, you're gonna get the right answer in ways that are dangerous or scary or reckless. And so I think that when students are being educated about how to interact with technology, about how to function in their future careers and lives in tandem with technology, we need to also educate them on how to construct good sentences and good prompts. There's some of that coming out now. I think it is going to continue to be a relevant topic throughout the tech space. And I think that it's just a hilarious, hilarious book and movie um, and if you haven't seen it or read it, you absolutely should. I that's, a, that's a great way to say garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's right. Geigo. We it used is. to say, right? Geigo, garbage in, garbage out. Absolutely. Who can forget that? Let's go on to Julie's quote. Julie picked a quote from Mr. Miyagi, played by Pat Morita. The movie is The Karate Kid, 1984. We're going back in time here. American martial arts drama film, the first film in a media franchise. Uh, the series follows coming-of-age teenagers who are taught by an experienced mentor in the ways of martial arts to stand up for themselves after being bullied or to assert their dominance toward others. Interesting, nerds and geeks need to stand up for themselves, right? Here's the quote, interesting, about education. The quote is, no such thing as a bad student. 
only bad teacher. Ooh, Julie, talk to us. There's that bad word again. I think. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, if you're familiar at all with the movie, it's all aspirational and really standing up for yourself, you know, learning and learning in different ways. And I, I'm a little I was a little uncomfortable with using the bad teacher because I don't think that the teachers are bad in the sense that they're not doing the right things. For example, Dr. Jones was telling us if I had gotten to this math, I really would have done it. What I see is that the future will allow, the technology will allow our teachers to be more effective. They'll be able to help identify people's strengths, you know, kind of guide them through their weaknesses and really fill some gaps. The teachers that we have now are overwhelmed. They have, you know, so many students at varying levels, um, a lot of different uh cultural interactions going on. Everyone has a different aspect. So what I really love about this quote or an end about the movie is that the way you learn and the, what teachers can bring can change the world. That AI is going to be able to help fill those gaps, machine learning, virtual representation. You know, you can be in a virtual environment and meet children around the world. Maybe someone can't get to school. Maybe someone has health issues or logistics issues. You know, I really feel that technology is going to be able to fill a gap um, on so many different levels and people are going to be able to figure out from the technology where they can, you know, drive their strengths and at the same time identify where issues might be that the technology can help them overcome. Thank you, Julie. You just paraphrased a wonderful, famous, Sharon is very excited. You just paraphrased a wonderful quote from Professor John Keating, played by the late, great Robin Williams in Dead Poet Societies about words can change the world, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very well done. Thank you, everyone, for the quotes. Let's see if we can sneak in one or two predictions here, and then we'll save the rest for part two, and I'll get you on the calendar before you leave, after we take pictures off the air. So, Carrie Getz, I'm looking at your prediction number one. I like this. It's very broad brush. I think it's very appropriate. You say, AI is going to change learning practices, opening up new avenues for homeschooling, technical school, education, etc. And here's the kicker. Students will be able to better visualize efforts with VR, virtual reality. Carrie, two minutes. Talk to me. So I think that tech is a great equalizer across the board. If you take students that go home, their parents may not have the wherewithal to help them with homework, or you may have students that want to learn home or they're, you know, learn at home or people that are in countries that are developing nations where schools with a lot of this curriculum is not really there and accessible, technology puts it in their hands, right? Technology makes that possible. But take, take a kid that's in the middle of Nigeria. I'm doing some work for education in Nigeria right now around technology. Take a kid that's in Nigeria that's probably never seen a data center, that's never, that knows nothing about a lot of this technology <laughs> other than you know, he's brilliant enough to have done something and realizes that technology is a turn on for him because it's, you know, it's a good way. It's, a you know, ch things change all the time. If he's if a person has access to that technology, they can learn every anything. There's MOOCs, there's, you know, massive open online classes that are the same classes taught in college. Anybody can learn for free. There's curriculum. There's a million different ways and avenues uh, for people to learn. And, you know, you can look at you do with a VR now. You can go see all of these places around the globe that you've never been to. 
that you'd love to see, right? You can do a 3D tour of the Taj Mahal if that's where you want to go or, or any of these other places. But all of that is enabled by technology. And I think when we put it in front of people's hands and give them enough knowledge to know how to use it, coupled with, and I think this is the most critical part, the ability to think critically to make sure that the information you're receiving is honest, truthful, you know, do the exercises, follow the money, follow the BS, figure out, you know, if it's right or not. When you couple those two things together, then technology works for us as opposed to us working for technology. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the more you do on technology, that is you are a currency to somebody else. And so being able to use that tech specifically for learning and make that tech work to your advantage instead of you being a cog in the technology wheel for somebody else's advantage is going to help change the industry. We have to change it from the inside out. We can't change it from outside regulators looking in. We need everybody from every walk of life working in this industry. We need people that are neurodiverse to talk about what they need from tech. We need people from every walk of life. I don't view diversity as anything that's an appearance. I think that's an important way to do it. I view it as fingerprints because everybody that uses technology has different fingerprints and different needs for that technology. And I think it should be open accessible to every pair of fingerprints on the planet. And I think that that is a great equalizer. And then you take those people that, you know, maybe you've got a kid sitting in the middle of rural Nebraska that wants to be an architect or an engineer. He can play with this stuff and he can put on his VR headset and he could walk through the building that he did. Look at Roblox and a lot of those games the kids are playing right now. So I do think that AI is good, can be used as an amazing learning tool, but we also have to realize the data sets that AI is using to form that knowledge and make sure that we teach that critical thinking skills right along with that technology or it could go horribly awry. Thank it could also you. go really well, but it could go horribly mm -hmm. awry. Thank you for applying critical huh? thinking to AI learning and education, Carrie. Yes. Important. Well, I'm gonna, gonna, so go a ahead. good example, yeah. I was on a panel years ago with a distinguished fellow from Microsoft over in the UK, and we were talking about big data at the time. And he said, you know, we did a study and found out that the car lots that do the best in the United States are the ones that sell orange cars because there's what, seven of them on the road in the United States, right? And I said, well, you have to look at those data sets and you have to be able to question the data set to know whether you're getting the right answer or not. He said, no, no, you can't question the technology. And I'm like, well, no offense, but that is a horrible answer. <laughs> so how do you call a distinguished fellow an idiot to his face without really calling him an idiot to his face? You always have to question technology. There is no time that we should be a slave to technology. Yes. It should work for us and with us, period. Absolutely. And that goes to chat GPT, which when I'm doing something, uh, shall we say, not damaging in my intro to the show where I can check and balance the writing, the lovely prose that it's written for uh -huh. me, I'm not using facts and figures that are going to be wrong, but I would check on anything. By the way, sometimes when I ask it for movie quotes, it sends me quotes. I research all of those quotes to find out, did that person say that in that movie? And a couple of weeks ago, none of them matched up. So I went back to ChatGPT. Don't tell me it's not sentient. It's just
very polite and well-trained. And I went back to ChatGPT and I said, but Bob Smith in such and such a movie didn't say that. It said, oops, I apologize. You're right. And then I went back and found the right person and I put it in there and said, so-and-so in such and such a, oh, I apologize. I'm sorry for any confusion. Then at one point it made up movie quotes for me in real movies and it said, this is just for entertainment value. These quotes don't exist, but they're right on the topic you're looking for. So now I have to be very careful, Carrie and everyone, when I put in a text prompt to ChatGPT for quotes from fictional movie characters, I have to say in real movies. Frankly, Scarlett, I need to go get chicken eggs. I didn't really have that. I wanted to sneak in one more prediction here. Sharon, if we can just, Dr. Jones, if we can just sneak this in just about two and a half minutes, and then we're going to have to close it, and then we'll get together and plan part two. You say, we will teach AI through a systematic approach that includes bite-sized learning and quick wins. Oh, I like that. The approach that spans early education, continuous learning, and collaboration between academia and industry. We can effectively teach people to use AI in their industries and ensure the workforce is well prepared for the AI-driven future. Sharon, two minutes, talk to me. So the reason why I say this is everyone has already said all these pieces. Like everybody has made the mention that like when we think about technology, sometimes it can be overwhelming. But what we realize is that it can be a great equalizer for all. But here's the piece that's really important. We as humans are very simple. We're just simple humans, right? We have complex thoughts and complex um, problems. But in order to solve those, it's really important for us to do it in a way in which we have little victories along. And that's what builds the consistency. Like none of us learn to read overnight. So why would we learn to learn to code overnight? It's, it's not going to happen. It takes a process. We didn't learn to write with this pencil overnight. So the idea is with AI is the same concept. Well, AI has been around since the 50s, and we all know this, and we all know the, the development. I mean, we've been using it with Alexa and Siri and Google Write and Google Voice and all the things that we've already been using. What I'm saying is important is showing people how to learn in small snippets using the AI technology. I'm going to go back to what we all have mentioned about the fact that we are all self-taught. But the way we are self-taught is we had small little victories all the way along until all of a sudden mm -hmm. it became this wonderful vat of knowledge. And, and when I think about just-in-time learning for those of us that are in the profession, think about all of us. We go to YouTube or we go to Google or whatever to find what we're looking for, how to write this Excel, whatever, or how to look this up, just like what you did with Chat GPT, mm -hmm. and how you learned, Bonnie, that you had to rethink uh, real movies, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Those are all things that, you know, there were a safe place to fail. But that bite sized learning is what now you know. When I go in and ask that question, I know what to ask. And that's really what I'm thinking about is that, and I notice this when I'm working with any level, and adults in particular, our attention span is like a gnat. And so we need very small pieces. Once all those pieces come together, we win. Thank you very much. I'm thinking, Sharon, what you're saying is we think of a large language learning models where we're a small language model. I'm a small right. language model. It's whatever, whatever my purview is, whatever my needs are. So we are training. Yes, we are learning and training. But it, again, Bill, it's that courageous curiosity 
that keeps us moving, wanting to do it better. I have a quick exercise for all of you, and then we're going to convene. I want to say thank you to Andrew, my engineer at Voice America Business, and thank you to everybody on LinkedIn and Facebook, and I'm going to send you all the links, and you can keep promoting the show. But, oh, my goodness, I've got one minute to go. I want all of you to put up your finger like this, and you're going to wag your finger, and on the count of three, you're going to join me and say, no, no, no. Come on, don't be afraid, Bill. Put up your finger. We're going to say, no, no, no. People say the future is already here, and our answer is one, two, three. No. No, no, no. Oh, no. no. How about let the, I hope not? Let the people <laughs> no, no. cry out. That's because that was yesterday's future, or the future was just two seconds ago. It's gone. We're going to all do our part to use technology to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Thank you, Carrie Getz. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Sharon Thanks. Jones. Don't go away. Thank you, Bill Clayman. Thank you, Courtney Pop. Thank you, Thank Voice you. of America. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.